Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Good morning, crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got Gonzo, also known as Super G, joining us on this Thursday. Mario, aka the Node Defender, is here, and we're going to have Johnny Crypto later on in the episode, so I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how the SEC is not backing down from the Ripple ruling cited last month as a government agency is working to file an appeal against Judge Torres, potentially saving Ethereum in the process. U.S. banks have already began leveraging Ripple's technology, while Elon Musk is seeking the dismissal of a $260 billion Dogecoin lawsuit in New York. Could this mark the end of his meme coin craze? Gemini, Gemini has relisted XRP on their exchange, and the Federal Reserve acknowledged the importance of blockchain this week. We're going to break down the details, showing our community how American crypto adoption is creating the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So, Gonzo, we got a bunch of great news prepared for today, but also a little TA we're bringing to the show. So I'm excited about that. How are you feeling? Thanks for being here, Gonzo. Yeah, I'm feeling really good. Anytime, like we got all the boys together, we're still waiting for Johnny to come up, but yeah, just super excited, you know, a little bit nervous because I'd never really shown my TA, but like we did the uh, Blondo Crypto episode on Tuesday and I figured out the, the technology to show my charts and it worked out really well. So, so uh, you know, we'll just go over some basic support and resistance stuff, nothing too complicated, but hell of excited, man. We'll continue to bring the good stuff on this show and we'll continue to improve, right, Gonzo? We got to start somewhere. But Mario, how you feeling, my friend? Thanks for making time for us. I'm feeling great, man. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you, Abs. It's great to see you, Gonzo. It's great to see everyone in the chat. Super excited to be here. Let's get this going. And we're going to get this thing started the same way we always do by checking out our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button. You can talk to us throughout the day. When we look at the Bitcoin fear and greed index, we are sitting at a 49 this morning in neutral. But when we look at the daily movers, XDC is taking center stage up 14% on the day, RPL up 9%. We got HBAR down about 4%. Uh, I forgot to load our Merlin market update. I apologize for that, Gonzo. So just I'm going to kick it to you for one second while I pull that up. What do you see? This is actually very convenient. Let's get right into the Bitcoin price chart. So Bitcoin is sitting at 29000 I'd love for you to break that down, and then we'll continue. Yeah, so you can see here, like this is the Bitcoin chart right here. This is on the daily and uh, this is the basic trend line. You can see we've kind of received this as support all the way going back to like uh, last year, right, where our bottom was at 15.8. And you can see what's going on right here. Like it's basic support and resistance, right? Why are we having issues here? Why do we keep struggling in this little area? And if we go back, let's see if this thing moves, right? And so I think the technology, there it goes. See, it does that all the time. Sorry. That's okay, Gonzo, because I got our Merlin market update ready to roll anyway. Right. So we're going to get back into this thing. We got we are sitting at 1.18 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 49% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 29,700. XRP sitting at 65 cents. And let's scroll down to Cardano sitting at a flat 30 cents this morning. And guys, we already have 163 live listeners joining us. Show us some love and smash that like button. But this is the news. We are discussing right off the bat today. The SEC will appeal the XRP ruling in case in the case against Ripple, at least according to the latest firing from the government regulator. A federal judge ruled that Ripple's direct sales of XRP to institutional investors violated securities law, but its programmatic sales to retail investors through exchanges did not. Now, is this what the SEC is appealing, Gonzo? We're going to go a little bit quickly here, but I do just want to break it down for our listeners. This is huge. Now, the context of this is what's most important. And I think we should kick it to uh, Jeremy Deaton or sorry, Jeremy Hogan to begin the episode. He said the SEC continues to make questionable decisions and is request requesting 
an interlocutory appeal. Note that this appeal is not appealing whether XRP itself is a security. It's just the losses on programmatic and individual sales. With that being said, Gonzo, I'm going to kick it over to you and we'll break down this article. What are you thinking here? We knew the SEC was going to mark an appeal. This is pretty much par for the course, really nothing out of line, but I'd like to hear what sticks out to you. Yeah, well, you know, first things first, like we're going to get a lot of FUD, a lot of media that's going to come in and kind of twist what's going on. The first thing that needs to happen is that that kind of appeal is very specific. And this is coming from the experts, not from me, but everything that we've read so far. And it's very specific. What they're trying to do is remember, we still have the court case that needs to come up on the aiding and abetting charge for Chris Larson and Brad Garlinghouse. So we had said this before that you can't get any appeal until that gets resolved. So basically what the SEC is doing is it wants to appeal and do that before that gets adjudicated, which is very unusual. And they need the sign off from Judge Torres and from the Second Circuit Court of Appeal. So it's very kind of specific. Uh, and it, and according to the experts, it's, it's something that's very unusual. So we're already seeing very unusual moves or decisions from the SEC that, that, that aren't very smart. So we're going to have to see how it plays out. But, but, you know, Ripple still gets a chance next week uh, to, um, to, to write up their kind of um, not appeal, but their, um, their rebuttal. So their rebuttal comes in next week. So, you know, this thing is still kind of uh, far away. Right. Like we still they still have to resolve to see if this they can even appeal. Right. And then if they can't or they can, we're still looking at at, at next year with any kind of kind of resolution because you still have to resolve the aiding and abetting charge. Mario, I'm not going to kick it to you, but I just want to read a couple of sentences here first. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission will file an interlocutory appeal of Judge Torres ruling on Ripple's programmatic sales of XRP. This was official as the court filed as it was court filed on Wednesday. The SEC said it was seeking leave to appeal part of a recent decision while other parts of the SEC's case proceeded to trial. The regulator said that approval of an interlocutory appeal could prevent the SEC and government from needing two separate trials. Now, specifically, the SEC seeks to certify the court's holdings that defendants programmatic offers and sales of XRP to buyers over crypto asset platforms and Ripple's other distributions in exchanges for labor and services did not involve the offer or sales of a security under the Howey test. We do also need to note, Judge Torres had tentatively scheduled a trial on other issues, and this is what Gonzo broke down. The SEC and Ripple were already scheduled to meet in court during the second quarter of 2024 to figure out the nuances of this court of this court ruling. But what the SEC is asking is to bring the programmatic sales into the discussion. With that being said, I'm going to kick it to you, Mario. Yeah, man, that's, uh, I think that, the, the obvious thing was was to see the SEC come out and, and appeal this thing. Um, am I frozen? You guys, you guys can hear me? Oh, I froze on my end. Cool. So I think I, I was expecting the SEC to come out and, and do an appeal. Uh, although it's not the kind of appeal that, that everybody was expecting, it's kind of weird. As Gonzo was saying, you know, they're doing something that's not really normal. And um, I think this is all just delay tactics tactics because nothing that the sec has been doing over the last couple months has, has has felt anything but abnormal and like the coinbase the coinbase um lawsuit that's happening right now it really doesn't make sense given the stat given the uh what we've received from xrp like i don't think the sec is going to have much going against coinbase given what came out from xrp not being a security in programmatic sales so i think this is just delayed tactics from the sec I believe that with Congress uh, trying to finally push through some regulation, we will start to see something positive come out from there. And the SEC just has to play its part. They have to keep this going because they they don't want to look um, weak. They don't want to look the the like the bad regulate. Well, I mean, they're the bad regular, but they don't want to look like they're losing this thing. So they're going to continue uh, utilizing whatever delay tactics they have until Congress comes out and says, look, this is going to be the framework. The SEC will no longer have. Um, uh, like oversight over cryptos that are not securities. And then I think that, you know, we'll start to see a settlement because I believe Ripple will have to pay some sort of settlement for the way that they did business. And then we will see if the SEC is going to go after any other crypto company for the same way that they uh, that Ripple did its initial sale. Gonzo, there's a clear narrative here from both Ethereum and Bitcoin investors 
Ripple is a security, even after the Judge Torres ruling. And luckily enough, we're going to have Mark Yusko coming on the show in a couple of weeks to discuss this exact topic. We already got 227 live listeners in here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And this video right here is from a friend of ours named Tony Edward interviewing a Bloomberg research analyst. And now here's what's interesting. All of these men play dumb about the Ripple securities offering, but they seem to understand the ICO of Ethereum very, very well. With that being said, here's this clip and we're going to kick it to the group. Shift and let kind of Bitcoin and Ethereum be their own thing and then really go after everything else. And we'll see how that goes. Obviously, it didn't go great with Ripple. And if you ask me, I would have said Ripple. If anything is is a security, Ripple's about as close as it gets. Like a lot of the other cryptos are have less security-like characteristics than, than Ripple does. Okay, so I'll talk a bit about the about the funding model. So Gonzo, just broadly, I'd like to hear your thoughts and then I'll give my input. Yeah, so I saw the interview with Tony Edwards and, and they kind of chopped up the video because what he was really saying is that, and, and I don't agree, like he was saying that in his opinion, XRP was the closest thing to security. And now that it has clarity, that means that everything else is good to go. But you're right. He's totally like not looking at the fact that Ethereum had a straight up ICO, the first ICO that we ever had. And, and that's what, like what the video is, um, is alluding to. But, you know, basically, if they're going to approve a, you know, because that guy's an ETF expert, right? He's not a, he's not a crypto expert. But like if they're going to approve uh, an Ethereum futures ETF this year and then we get a spot, then you're going to get uh, an XRP, um, you know, probably f- first futures ETF. And then, and then a spot, right? Especially if Ethereum gets one. So as much as like people like hate Ethereum and stuff like that, you want to root for that because that's just better for um, XRP. Just like how we want Bitcoin to kind of pull the rest of the market up. Like if Bitcoin decides to blow up right now and, and go to like 32, 35, 36,000, it brings the rest of the market with you. And then we can see that bounce from, uh, from XRP that hit at 59 cents. It could finally get back up to the like kind of 80 cent level, maybe a little bit higher. Mario, what is it about this conversation right here? First of all, I want to give a shout out to Yabro XRP. I guess I accidentally blocked out his username yesterday on one of his videos. So this is your shout out, my friend. That was your content. But this is what I'd like to focus on here. Yusko says, I don't like how Ripple distributed the XRP, but he likes the process of the Ethereum ICO. Let's put Yusko to the side. Just discuss broadly overall. Why is there a difference in the eyes of an Ethereum investor? Joseph Lubin purchased... I believe it was 80, 80% of the initial offering at under 90 cents per XRP. If that's not a securities offering, I don't know what is. But Mario, I'd like to hear your thoughts as well. I think Yusko just suffers from this thing that um, like a lot of other people also do, which is the narrative. Like Ever since I remember finding out about Ripple and finding out about, about XRP, the narrative has always been XRP is a banker's coin or Ripple is like it's it's a centralized ent- uh, entity in which it goes against the decentralized um, idea of crypto. And I know that Ethereum is also, like if we really look at it, the way that they've done things, it's exactly the same as, as, Ripple, as Ripple also did. And so there's not really much difference there. But I just think it goes along with the narrative. And especially when the SEC decided to go after Ripple, that kind of just made things even worse for, for Ripple's side. And so... I just don't think that Mark Yusko and all these other people that tend to be pro-Ethereum against XRP, I just don't think that they have taken enough time to really look at the partnerships, to really look at the, at the uh, technology, to try and really understand what XRP and Ripple is trying to build on XRP and, and solve for. Because let's let's face it, like if we're going to say that Ripple is a banker's coin or that Ripple is is working with the banks, I mean, look at Ethereum. All the major financial institutions are choosing to work with Ethereum too. And we've just had PayPal, which is one of the most centralized financial institutions in the world for payments. They chose Ethereum as the platform that they're going to build their uh, stablecoin on. So I don't think there's that much difference. And um, and so I just think the people that choose to promote Ethereum over XRP, and again, everybody's entitled to their opinion, and that's okay. But I just think that maybe they haven't taken enough time to look at the technology and what they're building. Absolutely, Gonzo. And this and Mario, and this clip goes perfectly with what you just said. We got 271 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. This is a video of Michael Saylor explaining the difference between Ethereum, 
Ripple, and of course, his favorite, Bitcoin. And every institutional investor would say, huh, I get it. Bitcoin is special. Bitcoin is a commodity. Ethereum, Solana, Ripple, you know, uh, name every other coin that ever had an ICO, every coin that ever had a pre-mine, every coin that has uh, a, a centralized foundation, a management team, every other coin would be deemed as a security. And as a security, they would all have to make fair disclosures. When they made those disclosures, 95% of them would collapse. A few would be left and people would say, well, this looks kind of like a tech stock in every institution. How is he making that reference when addressing Ripple there? That doesn't make a lot of sense. He grouped uh, Solana into the same category. It's not even worth addressing that. Just give me your broad take overall. People as smart as Michael Saylor pretend to not understand the securities offering with Ethereum, even though he's a Bitcoin maximalist. So I'm not really sure what's going on with Michael Saylor in particular. Why don't you break it down? Because uh, he's, you know what? He's pot committed, right? Like you think about it, he's incentivized. And he's incentivized to promote Bitcoin. All the maxis are, right? And that's why they they kind of live in fear because in their mind, there is no room for anything else. Um, and that's just not the case, right? And that's why they lumped everything together, even though they're different technologies, right? And, uh, you know, kudos to Mario, because he brings up a great point that, you know, they always call XRP the banker's coin. But when you look at like JP. Uh, M coin, and you look at all the stable coins, right? They're being built on Ethereum. And um, I was just reading a, a message that Justin posted, and he's spot on. Why do they use Ethereum? Because they can charge fees. There was a thing that I just recently read about USDT, right? And they charge a small fee to use USDT. You know how much they make per month just on fees alone, right? Like just it's in the smart contract. They don't have to lift another finger. It's just pure profit. Do you know how much that is, Abs? It's 70 million. They make wow. $70 million a month on a fee that's in the smart contract to use USDT. So it's a moneymaker, right? That's why PayPal, they don't want to fall behind. Even if there's not that all that regulatory clarity that they need, they're seeing what USDT is building and they want to jump in on that, right? And because and it's in the smart contract. Now we haven't seen PayPal smart contract yet, but if it matches USDT smart contract, then there's something built in there that charges a very small fee that builds if they use, like if somebody uses their stable coin, right? You're talking about $70 million a month, just in pure profit. Those numbers are astronomical, Gonzo, especially when you consider this market as a whole is only a $1 trillion market and they are generating $70 million a month off of particular stable coin fees. That is historic, guys. But we got 305 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we're getting back into the XRP conversation as John Deaton was explaining how Judge Torres' decision is much more important than the Ethereum maximalists would like you to believe. The reason I did this is I wanted to just kill all the nonsense out there where everybody is acting like the Torres' decision uh, somehow has been minimized, okay, or trivialized because of the Rakoff decision. And, and the, the, the great thing to me, the great irony is that some of these people, right, we know people like Joe Lubin and others, they supported this case against Ripple and they supported the case against XRP. Those people called XRP a security. They tweeted it out. They celebrated it. They were like, XRP holders, they laughed at us. They said, we're going to lose. And be careful what you celebrate, support, and ask for. Because according to her decision, all those people that bought ETH or bought other tokens who are venture capitalists, who are purchasing those tokens at that token factory, for example, all of those under the law constitute illegal securities, according to the Torres ruling. And that's what this uh, entire ruling is really about, guys. It affects ICOs all around the world, whether they happened in 2014 or they're happening in 2023. All of those initial ICOs would be considered securities under this Judge Torres ruling. And that's why the SEC is incentivized to get back into the court of law and hopefully create some new nuances here to save the Ethereum ICO. We got 322 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Gonzo, as the numbers continue to grow, everyone's asking about the XRP price. We're putting that to the side for now because this is going to take another 12 months to play out in a court of law. You give me your thoughts overall and we'll kick it to Mario. 
As far as like the XRP price? Yeah. So here's what worries me. Oh, not me, the right? price. Like, sorry, like, sorry. Not the price. The okay. How long this process is going to take. Oh, yeah. You know, this is going to take time. Like you have Ripple that still has to respond to next week. They still have to get like, so we know what, what they want to appeal. They want to appeal programmatic sales, which is basically, it makes sense because they're going after the exchanges, right? And they still have the Coinbase lawsuit, right? Um, and so this is going to take time because they've already started kind of to put some of the court dates on the calendar. And um, if they get denied this special appeal, which means that Judge Torres doesn't sign off on it or the Second Circuit doesn't sign off on it, then they need to wait until the aiding and abetting charge against uh, Garlinghouse and Chris Larson get adjudicated. And that's not even on the calendar till next year. So we still have a bunch of time where you're going to have to see this thing play out. I think just like it took all this time to get Judge Torres' ruling, we're going to see this thing with the appeal get drawn out, right, in, into next year and, and maybe even beyond. But until then, the decision is what it is, right? And we've got the clarity that we need when it comes to programmatic sales. And the only thing, like you were saying, that they have an issue with right now is the institutional sales, right? The people that are like basically like an ICO. And you know, it's uh, what what I wanted to add with with what Gonzo was saying. Gonzo, imagine a scenario where this thing with Ripple is dragging on, and it's going to get to a point where regulation is also passing, and so it's going to coincide like perfectly. And then all of a sudden, clarity comes, and then they're like, "Oh, we don't need to go after anybody anymore because now we have clarity. Now we have the frameworks, and as long as they're complying." So I just think this this whole thing is just playing along as it's supposed to, and it's it's going to get to a point where the Ripple ruling and the regulation on the Congress side is going to meet right at the perfect time. And that's just, I know, I think that that's going to happen, but we'll see. Yeah, and the SEC saves face, right? Because right now it looks like they've taken a bunch of L's and and people are very emboldened, especially like uh, all, the, all the different projects and everything, they're all emboldened. So they get to save a little bit of face, like you're saying. And then imagine that corresponding with an approval of the Bitcoin ETF, spot ETF, right? Where he comes out and kind of gives a little something, right? And then he doesn't have to take an L in the court, like you're saying, Mario, because the Congress comes out and finally gives us regulation and it kind of just goes away. So you can see how this thinking can start to build up as we get into next year and we get into the next bull run. You can see some of the narratives that are going to kind of push this, um, the next bull run, uh, you know, like the next narrative that's going to fuel uh, the next bull run. Here's my question for you, Gonzo. We talked about how this affects the Ethereum ICO, but if we're not allowed to have ICOs in the United States, does that mean people are just going to offer those products overseas and then come back over here once the product is decentralized enough? How do you think that narrative will play out? Yeah, you know, um, it, it, it's tough, right? Because like the, it goes back to the original question, do we think that they're going to come after Ethereum? And I just don't. I, I don't think that. I think that ship has sailed. And, and I think they'd rather just stall out and like what Mario was saying and let Congress come in with new rules and maybe create some kind of safe harbor um, like rule where they can come in and, and they, they can say, okay, yeah, we were a security or we weren't, uh, we were centralized and now we're sufficiently decentralized. But if it doesn't get resolved, I think you're right, Abs. I think they'll go outside of the U.S. Because remember, crypto is not, the U.S. is not the crypto universe. You already have regulatory clarity in the U.K., you have Hong Kong and you have Singapore. So that will continue to build if we don't get the regulatory clarity here in the U.S. You know, it'll just move outside of the U.S. and it'll just continue to grow, right? And how does this narrative impact that, guys? We're going to discuss this next. As XRP was removed from the SEC securities list and the crypto community was celebrating over this big news, XRP being removed from the latest SEC securities list on CoinGecko had John Deaton very excited. He said how it began from the beginning 2013 through present defendants sold over 14.6 billion units of a digital asset called XRP. Today, XRP is not a security. And that's not only according to Judge Torres, that is according to the SEC themselves. So it's a pretty exciting, uh, some pretty exciting update there, Gonzo. But this is what I also wanted to focus on. Over 48 other tokens were still considered securities under the SEC. And these are some of the largest tokens that exist in the market today. BNB, Cardano, Solana, Matic, Filecoin, Algorand, Sand Token, and there are several, several others on this list. Now, 
Um, I did just want to preface the fact that this list is constantly evolving. As we see these lawsuits play out before our eyes, this list is going to change over time. So it's not like it's set in stone here. Algorand is one that I do think will inevitably be removed from that list. But Gonzo, I want to kick it to you. How do you feel about XRP not only being removed after the ruling, but a lot of these major tokens still remaining on the SEC's securities list? Yeah, you know, Coin uh, not uh, Coin Gecko is kind of tracking all of those tokens, so you can take a look at them. But you know, it, it, Judge Torres just when she made the ruling that SEC is not a security, it's just verifying what we already know. It's not about the underlying asset; um, it's about the way that it's packaged. So whether, like, you know, uh, uh, what's his name w- was making a comment about it, whether it's the Beaver Tails, whether it's Whiskey Barrels whether it's XRP, the underlying asset is not a security. And that was just verified. It's the way that you package it together. So Bitcoin that they consider a commodity can be a security. It's the way that it gets packaged. If it gets packaged a certain way, then Bitcoin becomes a security because it's about the packaging. It's about the wrapper. It's not about the underlying asset. Mario, I want to kick it to you as well. 48 tokens still remain on the SEC securities list. And that tells me another thing about that Ripple lawsuit. It doesn't apply to a lot of other tokens like the initial clip that we played at the beginning of the episode. The Bloomberg analyst was trying to compare what Ripple did to other projects like Solana and Ethereum. And clearly that's not the case. But how do you feel about the 48 other tokens? How many of them do you believe are securities? Well, I th- I think the, the, the bigger thing here is... If some crypto tokens are securities, then fine. But what is the process, right? How do those tokens then comply with the law? And I think that that's the, that's the problem is that even though some of these cryptocurrencies might be considered, considered securities under U.S. law, there still isn't a process for those tokens to comply. There's no form that they can go and fill out and, and uh, get assistance or guidance from the SEC. And I think the the conversation of security versus non-security becomes even more difficult to to understand because there isn't a framework. And I think that that framework from Congress, that framework from from, uh, that clarity is what's needed in order for this market to move forward. And then we can know if the SEC is the one that's going to be overseeing these things or the CFTC. Or I think at some point there has to be a different body because Think about crypto. Think about all the different sectors of crypto. There are so many different niches and it's only going to grow. So how is one government body or how are they going to split it between multiple? I think there's going to eventually need to be a dedicated uh, group that's going to be over uh, like regulating and, and oversighting this uh, the space. And, and, and I think that that's the bigger question is if they're securities, then OK, fine. But how do they comply? And there isn't a way. Here's another clip corresponding to what you just said. This is not just a phenomenon here in the United States. What they're looking to do, okay, eventually, and this should be pretty obvious, is some kind of a cross-border currency, something that can be used worldwide, a one-world currency. This is is where this is going here. And what we're calling that on our channel is the liquidity between central bank digital currencies – And with that being said, we're going to get into some news about the Bank of England developing their CBDC this month. As the Bank of England wants the Digital Pound Foundation advisors to move the CBDC into a design phase. The Bank of England is currently recruiting academics for its CBDC currency engagement forum and is asking stakeholders for more information. Now, what's also cool about this is they have to go into the public for these private developers, Gonzo. There's not just infinite brilliant minds behind the scenes developing crypto. They go to companies like Ripple, Stellar, Quant Network, and they ask for developers to help them, which is pretty interesting. So the Bank of England has set up a digital pound advisory group, which is currently recruiting for the country as it enters the design phase for its CBDC. Along with the Treasury Department, which is the financial arm of the government, it wants academics and researchers to express their interest in joining the group. The academic advisory group is meant to bring together experts across finance, economics, business, and several others. Through this group, they seek to generate expert academic input and promote interdisciplinary discussions on a range of topics about retail central bank digital currencies. The country launched its consultation on the digital pound, which the government and Bank of England believe is likely needed. The Bank of England plans to run its own experiment and design phase over the next two years and actually believes they will have full implementation 
by 2025. So that is just around the corner, Mario. You give me some of your thoughts. Digital Pound Foundation, Bank of England, we know they're connected to Ripple, but how does it feel that we're only a couple years away from a real CBDC? Yeah, I think that the pressure of all these stable coins is going to like all these stable coins are starting to come out and we're seeing them now PayPal get involved. And I think that's going to create more pressure into governments to want to come out with their CBDC, because as Gonzo mentioned, look how much money is is to be made just on fees. And so I'm sure that at some point the banks are going to start putting pressure in the central banks because the banks cannot really move on their own without the central banks doing something about it. And so I think we know the banks definitely want to um, improve the system. They definitely want customers to be able to have a better service, a better experience, and they don't want to start losing their business to other financial institutions. And I think that central banks will, will start to push this out sooner rather than later just to get that system upgraded and to get, and so that banks can, can start to profit from it. Mario or sorry. And Gonzo, uh, the Bank of England wasn't the only country with central bank digital currency news yesterday, as 13 banks are to participate in Russia's CBDC pilot program, which is also set to be implemented by 2025. This pilot program will start on August 25th of 2023, where 13 Russian banks will participate in a pilot program conducted by the Bank of Russia. During this test, users will be able to use digital ruples to make purchases at 30 retail locations across 11 Russian cities. Now, this is even more important for this one reason right here, Gonzo. This news comes that after this news is less than a month after Vladimir Putin signed digital rubles bill into law, allowing the Bank of Russia to announce it will start using digital rubles for the project's operating testing phase of a central bank digital currency. And as you can see, full implementation set by 2025, right around the next bull run, finally enough. What do you think, Gonzo? And then I'll, I'm going to give my input. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, it seems like the BRICS nations are far more ahead than the rest of the world. Uh, we did a story on Orlando Crypto on Tuesday where the Brazil already has their CBDC named. It's called Drex. They have their color scheme. They have their symbol screen. Um, and then uh, you saw the story right now with Russia. They're working on what they're going to name their central bank digital currency. So these guys are already, I'm not surprised that, you know, they're talking about implementation by 2025 and it's going to be a competition, right? It's going to be a competition between the governments and what we're seeing in the privatization of money, right? PayPal just came out with their stable coin and you can see how far we've come, right? It was just a few years ago that basically Facebook tried to do the same thing that PayPal is doing and the government freaked out, right? We had all these Congress hearings and all these things and they shut them down. And now look what happened. Now we have PayPal and they have their own stable coins. I know Maxine Waters has tried to come out and try to say, oh my God, this is the end of the world or whatever. Well, you know, if you wanted to regulate them, then you should have regulated them, right? They had an opportunity to pass legislation or move it forward and they got in the way, the left and the right got in the way of that. Um, but you, you could already see like the shift in everything of where we've gone from where Facebook was at with their Libra thing and now where we're at with uh, PayPal. But you're going to see basically a race between the CBDC and then the privatization of stable coins. What's interesting about CBDC development, Mario, is that typically in the past, the Federal Reserve has denied these types of conversations, or they've even put deadlines out that far exceed what we anticipate, saying by 2027, we may begin trying a CBDC. Well, those headlines move closer and closer to where we are today. And with Russia, as well as the Bank of England, announcing a CBDC by 2025, the U.S. is going to be quick to follow in the next 24 months. Broadly, we are going to break down a, uh, a very good article right now that's taking a closer look at which banks are currently leveraging XRP. And look at this, guys. Several U.S. banks are on this list. But the clip that we played from Mark Yusko yesterday, he said something very in particular. Ripple is all bark, no bite. All articles, no real mainstream adoption. We found this article to provide a little evidence, and hopefully we can break that down when he comes on the program. The Bank of America has been connected to Ripple for several years now, partnering with the program several years ago. Their collaboration has been instrumental in setting up RippleNet's compliance standards for international payments. PNC is another American bank currently in RippleNet's organization, and they partnered back in 2016 to improve network speed. Siam Commercial Bank is one of the largest banks in Thailand, and it adopted Ripple's technology back in 2020. Santander Bank joined in 2018, and Standard Charter Bank has been partnered with Ripple since 2016, Gonzo. Now, 
everyone's looking at these partnerships and saying, well, why 60 cents then? This is the trial phase. This is before implementation. We're perfecting the technology. How long until until we see companies like Bank of America and Standard Charter acknowledge these use cases now that they were not being sued by the SEC? You know, I, I'll always lean into technical analysis. So show me the chart and I'll tell you news. I would say it, we'll start seeing those stories when we see the, the, the price move, right? When we see um, the, the next bull run, right? What's making me nervous right now about the price action of XRP is that we came down to a perfect support level. That 59 cents is at the 0.382 fib on the macro pole. And we came down perfectly to touch that. And now we're bouncing off of that. But what makes me nervous is that we're just going to come up to that lower 80 cents level and make a lower high. And the trend is actually coming down. But all that's going to do is give you more opportunity to kind of buy at some lower levels. But until we get liquidity into the overall market, right, you're not going to see price action go up, right? We're at one point something trillion. You figure that the next bull run will be somewhere around seven to ten trillion. And I think that's when you'll find you're going to see uh, price appreciation uh, in XRP because it's a liquidity issue. It's a money issue that we just have the same amount of money that's just kind of buzzing around the market. And, uh, you know, when when XRP went up to 93 cents and got rejected, that was just the same amount of money that just kind of got focused on it. And now it got pulled on to the next narrative. And that's where we're kind of getting that that price action to kind of drop back down. I was watching uh, Gonzo. I was watching a blockchain backer video from yesterday where he did an analysis on, on XRP. And he also spoke about that 59 cent. And that was part of a uh, Elliott wave completion. And so he basically thinks that this was the bottom or could be the, bo- the bottom. And now we could go up from here into what everyone was expecting the $10 price of the previous bull run. And so obviously it's not going to be like next month or next week. It's not something that's in the cards for the next few weeks, but this 59 cent could potentially be the bottom for the, as it, as it completed that Elliott wave theory. And, uh, and we could start getting price appreciation from here, but what we have seen and what I wanted to tie this to and also mention is that I don't think XRP is going to do much without Bitcoin. And we've seen it like the market in, in itself it's proven that it needs Bitcoin to move in order for the rest of the market to move. And I, and we totally could get like some crazy bullish news around XRP. And I think that XRP being deemed not a security is as bullish as it could get. You know, everybody was um, expecting huge price appreciation from XRP not deemed a security. Could we get more bullish news? Yes. But I, th- I still think that the market is heavily tied to Bitcoin and Bitcoin moving up is going to be the best catalyst for the rest of the crypto market and therefore for XRP. Gonzo, I'm waiting for the day when we have the decoupling event. And anybody who's been in the crypto market for two or three years knows that the XRP conspiracy theorists have always said there will be a day when the markets are going down and XRP rises like a phoenix from the ashes. And it's these types of articles that can cause that mainstream adoption, right? I'm going to read a couple of headlines out of this bearable bull tweet and kick it right back to you. In the past full months, we've seen XRP deemed a non-security. The ISO compliance go live. FedNow went live with their product. Five central bank digital currencies are working on Ripple's platform, and that's publicly. Ripple joined the ISDA. Congress is prepping crypto bills in the USA. And the digital dollar project completed phase one. We are looking at the future. I'm kicking it straight to you before I get my thoughts. Yeah, you know, it's a perfect setup for the next bull run. But like I said, until we, you know, we have a lot of macro headwinds that were, you know, we don't know what the Fed's going to do, right? We had inflation that went up a little bit today, right? It's at 3.2 words, that's expected. And so, you know, is the Fed going to continue to raise rates until a bank breaks or something else breaks? So I think we still have some headwinds to go, but we're really going to see the true potential of it once the bull run starts and kind of liquidity comes back into the market and all that money flows in. We're going to see how it, how if there's a new flow, right? Does it go into Bitcoin and then it flows down to Ethereum and the other altcoins? Or does it go to Bitcoin and then flows into XRP because it has regulatory clarity? Or does all that money just flow into XRP? That remains to be seen. The pattern has been Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then kind of XRP, right? So we have to see how that plays out because we've never gone into a bull run 
where we have regulatory clarity for XRP. So once all the retail and all the money comes back into the system, we're going to see how that plays out. Gonzo, and one thing's very clear right now, while we're shifting and talking about crypto every day, nations around the world are moving away from the US dollar and into more stable assets. And what we've talked about for a while is digital assets will be incorporated into this new digital economy because there's no other way to do it. And this is what a financial expert was breaking down last night. We got 200 or sorry, 343 live listeners here. Show us some love, smash that like button. When we talk about XRP and digital assets, it's always fun to talk about Bitcoin, but the day that a digital asset becomes compliant on the world stage, that's when we get to a phase where the Phoenix rises from the ashes. Basically what he said is, now you have to understand James Rickards. Not only is he a best-selling author, like his book, Currency Wars, I think he's written four or five that are all best-selling books, but he was employed by the CIA for financial war games. And they would bring him in and they would say, we're going to do some simulations and we need you to tell us where we're vulnerable, how we could be beat by a foreign entity financially without lobbing bombs. How can they destroy us financially? So his background, the way he looks at things is, is in this respect. And what he said to me was very intriguing. He says, what I believe that they will do is they will issue uh, new brick currency and each brick currency will be worth one ounce of gold. And he says, if they do that, they will allow the West to destroy themselves and they don't have to do a damn thing. And I said, well, what do you mean by that, Jim? He says, well, if you realize that the West is drowning in debt, almost $200 trillion in debt with a very small asset base, how can they ever pay that off? The only way to pay it off is what all politicians have done. And to Rob's point, you know, trimming the edges of coins, that's why you have ridges on, on the edges of coins right now, because back in the Roman times, they would trim the coins to pay their soldiers because they were running out of money policing the world. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? So they would trim the edges of the coins to, to save a little here and there and, and be able to pay more soldiers. Well, that didn't go over very well, and that is why you have ridges on the coins. But he said... If, if, the, if, the, if the West inflates, the dollar drops, gold goes up, the BRICS win. If the West tries to do what the rest of the world is doing and accumulate gold, the dollar drops, gold goes up, the BRICS win. And that's why we're in a situation that we've never seen before, Gonzo. We are sitting here on the precipice of the U.S. dollar not being the global standard of wealth. And we don't necessarily know what it's going to be, but the BRICS nations are creating something not only more reliable, but backed by a hard asset like gold. It's a shocking time to be an American. I'd like to hear your thoughts and we'll kick it to Mario. Uh, you know, the only thing I would say is, yeah, uh, we're, you know, we're losing, the dollar's losing its world reserve currency status, but we're not the only ones, like it's a global issue, right? When you look at some of the charts that talk about, you know, GDP and, and, and economies that are in trouble, like Japan is at the top of the list. Right. So it's not a U.S. issue. It's like a, a global issue. And uh, and so, you know, the, the theory is, is that, you know, the BRICS nations are going to come out and, uh, you know, with the new reserve currency, maybe a basket of all of theirs. and It's going to be backed by gold. Now, I know it's not Conspiracy Fridays, but how crazy would it be if all of a sudden come to find out Bitcoin was created by the government and it comes out and that's the counter because they're playing chess, not checkers. And they attach it to either Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency or some kind of digital thing that outpaces gold. And so we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But um, but yeah, it, it's not a specific issue to the U.S. It's a global issue. Right. Uh, and, and Japan is like kind of at the top of the list. They're on a very kind of sketchy situation where they're controlling yield curves. And if they don't do things right, you know, their economy could collapse. Mario, all of the world's economies are built off the success of the U.S. dollar. So it's not like they're necessarily incentivized for a quick collapse, but we could see a slow grind over the next 10 years. And as somebody who grew up in the American, I guess, public school system, I remember 10, 15 years ago, they were teaching us in our classes, by 2030, China will be the global superpower. They were programming the masses with that information for decades now. So to finally see it playing out, it's not a surprise, but it is still shocking. I'd like to hear your thoughts and then we'll continue. Yeah, I think that even just 
five to 10 years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to say, man, I didn't see this coming. And like the most obvious thing is that BRICS is going to take over. The U.S. dollar is no longer going to be the reserve currency. The, U- the United States, it's losing its power. Everybody knows that. It's being spoken about even in, in, in mainstream media. And so that leads me to believe that that might not be exactly what's going to happen. Just because if they're telling us um, so transparently, then usually it tends to be something else. And so what I'm trying to say is that as we witness, like we're all trying to pay attention. We're all trying to look at the signs. We're all trying to look at the clues and things that are happening. But chances are things could turn out completely different than what we thought. And we may even see things that we were never expecting. I think that crypto and blockchain is definitely going to play a part in the financial system. It's definitely moving towards that route. Um, how it will happen, I don't know. You know, a lot of people in the chat were just discussing whether XRP was going to be used for CBDCs or the XRP ledger is going to be the main um, blockchain for CBDCs. We don't know. Are they working with a lot of bank with a lot of central banks? Absolutely. But will it be uh, will it be massively adopted? We don't know. And so all I'm trying to say is that five to 10 years from now, and I think it's going to be pretty soon, we're going to see just things shifting in a way that we may not even expect. And this is just to, you know, get you thinking kind of differently. I think Mario brings up a great point, Gonzo. He said five to 10 years, and we focus on bull runs, three, four-year cycles here. When you take a long-term time frame, there's also there's almost no case scenario where digital asset adoption doesn't take place. And we got 360 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. This is a video out of one of the founders of Ripple named Chris Larson, where he said you have a tale of two economies, the United States and everyone else. Over, I mean, but you know, here's the thing. It's a tale of two cities. In the U.S., we have really screwed up blockchain tech and crypto policy. Everywhere else, it's booming. Uh, and so we've actually lost our leadership role. It has now moved to Singapore, London, Dubai. They're, they're kind of the three majors that are fighting out. Japan also is a player. Brazil, you know, everywhere. Keep in mind, Gonzo and uh, Mario just referenced five of those places that are currently working to move away from the U.S. dollar. He's talking about how pro-crypto those environments are. I'm going to continue. Basically, is kind of welcoming this. And most of our people that we're hiring now are overseas. So we're still booming. Um, we're hiring like crazy. We're just not doing anything in the U.S., even though we're headquartered in San Francisco. And we're right. committed to San Francisco. And that's let's, a shame. Let's talk about that. The industry has the perception it's full of scammers, especially around We'll skip that part of the interview, Gonzo. But I think if if companies like Ripple are as powerful as they are and they're not hiring in the USA because of regulatory compliance, imagine if you're a smaller project, but let's say not a billion dollars in your bank account, you got no shot to operate here. So I'm going to kick it to you and then we'll continue. Yeah, when you think about the evolution of the internet and the major companies that came out of that, Google, Amazon, right? That was all in the US. And it seems like, when we had this new technology blockchain that's come out, the U.S. has been more concerned about holding on to its dollar dominance than embracing this technology. And the rest of the world has kind of um, has grabbed onto that. Right. And, and, and that's and that's the issue. And, and I think that's going to continue to happen unless we get regulatory clarity uh, and we get a shift, then everything is going to move offshore. Um, and then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it, it plays out. But just just imagine if like Google and Yahoo and all of Amazon, those com- those companies were not in the U.S. They were in the U.K. or other countries like Singapore, how different things would be. Right. And, and that's the way this thing's playing out. We don't know if it's too late. Like it seems like, you know, we're closer to regulatory clarity than we'd ever been. But, you know, these companies are still, you know, they're going to go where they're treated the best. They're going to go where they have regulatory clarity. So because regardless of what Gary Gensler likes to say, that the business model is flawed for blockchain or cryptocurrency, um, most companies want to do the right thing. They don't want to break the law. They just need to know what the rules are. So they're going to go where they have that clarity because they don't want to risk building a company or a protocol and then having the sec come down and slap you with a lawsuit like they did with ripple and cost them uh, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars 
or putting them out of business like what happened with library. And so that, you know, that's going to continue to happen unless we get some type of regulatory clarity. And this is a pretty exciting article for our Elon Musk fans out there as Elon Musk is facing a heavy lawsuit over his Dogecoin allegations. This legal battle was initially launched last June for a demand of a whopping $258 billion restitution. This lawsuit alleges that Musk engaged in calculated series of actions akin to showmanship, market manipulation, and insider trading within the domain of one of the largest cryptocurrencies, most iconic meme coins. Now, this is pretty funny just from the standpoint of, of course, they're not going to get $250 billion. But will we see Elon Musk back off of meme coins? Maybe. I don't know. It's a pretty funny conversation. I'm going to Mario first. What do you think? Is this a big deal for Elon or is this just another day being the richest man on the planet? Yeah, like he's already said, I do not respect the SEC. So I don't think he's going to stop. Um, I think he's the type of person that's just going to play along, play with it. I don't believe, I think he's too, he's, he's, He's a smart guy. I doubt that he would let himself fall into this position where he was deliberately manipulating the price for personal gain. I think he's 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 way too smart to to be making that mistake. So I don't think that that's going to have any grounds. But I also don't think he's going to stop. I also think that he's going to continue to be his regular funny goofy self, and at least that's what he portrays on on social media a little bit. And um, I don't think the SEC threatening him is going to make him feel the least bit scared. Gonzo, give me some of your thoughts here really broadly. Obviously, Elon Musk is looking to incorporate X and create it, create a payments application through the platform. It's a natural step that cryptocurrency could be incorporated. And Elon Musk has only talked about Dogecoin. So you give me your thoughts. Could we see a day where Elon Musk comes back and starts talking about Dogecoin again, maybe even going on Saturday Night Live and doing things similar to 2021? Yeah, maybe, you know, uh, he, he has, you know, you have to think about like, he's super rich, right? And so he's, he said it before you heard him in interviews, like he thinks it's funny, right? He, he thinks in his mind, like how, how funny would that be if at the end of the day, what ended up winning, not like XRP, not Ethereum, not something else, it was Dogecoin, right? The meme coin that started off as a joke. So he thinks that's funny. But when you look at the tech side, there are definitely better technologies that can be used as a payment rail within X, right? Um, the um, Dogecoin does not support smart contracts. So I'm not saying that it can't be on the tech side. Uh, you know, you could put money and developers into it to change it um, so that he can use it. But we have to keep that in mind that it, it doesn't even support smart contracts. And so you're going to need something like that. So there are definitely better technologies to be incorporated in X. There was an article that I read before that there's like rumors of Algorand. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be rumors of XLM, XRP, you know, wh whatever's in the payments rails, you know, we're going to eventually hear rumors about them being incorporated and maybe it's all of them, right? Maybe it's a few of them. Maybe it's all of them. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it plays out, but really it's, it's in Dogecoin's best interest for it to continue to this speculation thing, because that's really like, where you get the volatility and you can make the money, right? Like it, it, it's a thing that you could probably trade is the volatility. And that's all done through the speculation or the rumors that it's going to be incorporated or it's not going to be incorporated. Gonzo, we're going to close out this episode with that XRP appeal information out of the SEC. So check this information out of blockchain backer. Breaking news from Walker Watcher Guru, the SEC to appeal judges ruling that XRP is not a security that's an incorrect tweet. And blockchain backer called them out. He said, no, they're not, laughing emoji. They're appealing the programmatic sales by Ripple, not the security sales of XRP itself. XRP's non-security status cannot be appealed. And I think that's the most important takeaway from this episode, guys. Over the weekend, I'm sure we're going to see plenty of FUD, plenty of new interviews about the SEC and Ripple. XRP's non-security status is not what's up for debate. And Gonzo, I know you said it at the beginning of the episode, but please double down right now. What's the process that the SEC even has to go through? I know they have to get approval from Judge Torres, but who else do they have to get approval from to even register this appeal? Yeah, it's uh, called an interlocutory appeal. And so the first thing they need to do is they need to get a sign off from Judge Torres and the Second Circuit Court of Appeal. Because like we had talked about before, everything needs to be resolved before any kind of appeal needs to happen. 
And you still have that very specific aiding and abetting charge against Chris Larson and Brad Garlinghouse. And that's not scheduled until next year. So um, I, this is not my words. These are the experts that are we're, we're commenting. I was researching yesterday and they're saying it's a very kind of hard thing to get approved because you need like Judge Torres to agree and you need the Second Circuit to agree. And, and so it, it seems like it's just a stall tactic or a delay tactic like Mario was talking about earlier. But, you know, first things first, you still have Ripple that has a right to contest this. And they, the Stuart Alderati has already said that they're going to contest it next week. They're going to write up their stuff. So I, I think we're still looking at a very drawn out thing, just like it didn't take a very long time. I mean, it took a long time to resolve the, the summary judgment part of this. I think it's the same thing with the appeal. This is not going to happen overnight or it's not going to happen this year. Mario, the individual's trials are set to begin around May of 2024. That means the final judgment in this case won't be entered until late 2024 at the earliest, and any appeal would be well into 2025. What does that mean? XRP is not a security until that entire process plays out, even if they were to appeal. We won, guys. That's what we're saying on this show this morning. we got 332 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I want to remind people tomorrow we'll, we, we will not be on air. We'll be missing Friday's episode, but we'll, we'll be back on Monday. So don't even worry. Mario, give me your, some closing remarks here. Jeremy Hogan broke it down perfectly. XRP is not a security. That is the law. But any appeal would be well into 2025. No need to talk about it here in 2023. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, let's talk about it for awareness, right? But um, I think that we still need to see the lawsuit close as far as everything that the SEC came after Ripple. And um, this ain't live, by the way. No, it's not. <laughs> and uh, but and, you know, and they're going and they're going after uh, they're going after the defendants as well. So we're going to have to see that play out. But it, it sucks that it takes so long. It sucks that we have to just sit on the sidelines and kind of deal with this for so long, because I feel like misinformation gets spread. And the same way that we started seeing like fake SEC screenshots and, you know, uh, big Twitter accounts kind of put out these tweets saying that there's been an appeal against XRP status when that's not exactly correct. And that's the type of thing that is bad for the time span that we have to wait. And it could create all this FUD in, in, in the space. And, and, that, and that's the sad part of it. But I think nonetheless, um, you know, XRP is not a security. That is a good thing. Let's start to see the XRPL like evolve. Let's start to see Ripple continue to bring in partners. Um, and I think the ultimate win, like, is it good for the XRP? Yes. But as investors, why are we investing in XRP? It's because we want price appreciation. It's because we're 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 hoping that we're going to be able to take profits from this investment. So I think that that's where the win is going to come. Is going to come. All these people that were investing when times were fearful, uh, lawsuit just dropped. It's January 2021, and the price is crashing. And people's like, I think that this is a good move. I think that XRP is not going to be considered a security. I'm going to put some money into this. Let's fast forward and see XRP at a $10 price by uh, $10 price point. And those people that hang on are taking profits. I think that that's, that's a win, at least for me personally. So, but we'll see what happens over time. Definitely Mario and Gonzo. I'd like to get some closing remarks from you. This is the live poll we ran during the episode. Do you believe the SEC will win the appeal? 86% of our listeners said no. 13% said yes out of 256 votes. So thank you for participating guys and Gonzo. Overall, we won the lawsuit. Should you be concerned about this appeal? Just give me your take. Uh, I, you know, me personally, I, I, I'm not, right? Because this is all, it seems like it's all theater. You know, we, we're closest that we've ever been to actual regulation. And I think Brario was spot on when he said, this is just a stall tactic so the SEC can save face. And then eventually we're going to get some kind of regulation. So it won't really matter. Like, the more that you have other countries like the UK, Singapore, Hong Kong, right? Who would have thought, right? China was banning crypto just a little while ago. And now Hong Kong is trying to turn into a hub. So the more that those things happen on the world stage, the more it puts pressure on our politicians 
that they have to kind of make a decision, right? That they have to address this, that it's no longer some speculation thing that might go to zero. Like this is here to stay and it solves a lot of the issues. So um, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, like it's just a, a stall tactic and um, you know, it, it's a liquidity issue, right? Like we're at 1.8 trillion, whatever it is, we're in like coming out of a bear market. I think whatever happens with Bitcoin in the next few weeks, it's a bear market rally. We're going to retest lows. We're going to grind sideways. And then, uh, you know, from there, we're going to go into the next bull run. Thank you, Gonzo. And we got 326 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Well, I'm going to say thank you to each one of our guests. Thank you to Mario. Thank you to Gonzo. And thank you to the ghost himself, Johnny Crypto. We'll see you guys in 72 hours plus 24. What is that? 96 hours. And like we always say, Warriors, God.